I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. A one, a two, a one, two, three, four. <laughs> Another beautiful day on the Victor Bravo Golf Course. The sun is shining, the birds are about, and there's a sudden pause in the crowd. Michael Michelson steps up to the tee box. 15th hole here, driver's recommended. <laughs> oh, is he a caveman? Because it's suddenly clubbed up on. What do you reckon, George? <laughs> I mean, did he hit that with the dictionary? Because that was a terrible read. <laughs> Well, g'day and welcome to Golf. Andrew Datto is my name. It is a pleasure to have you with us. And I tell you what, um, I think you really enjoy today's podcast. We've got Grant Dodd, the Doddinator, um, the voice of Australian golf when there is golf played in Australia and televised. And he's also the current holder of the Slovenian Open Championship. And the story of how he got there and won that is an absolute doozy. So I'm thrilled to talk to Grant. And then... After Grant, something a little bit different. I did say a while ago I was going to try and footnote the episodes with with something different, and today it is definitely different. I haven't heard of it before, um, but I'm certainly going to give something a try. So I really hope you can stick around for that. But first, Grant Dodd, a wealth of knowledge, um, a really interesting golfing story, and an interesting life story as well. So I hope you enjoy it. This is my chat with Grant. We did it on Zoom, so if there's any sort of little glitches, that's why that's happened. Um, and I hope you're well. It's great to have you with us. Here's Grant. How are you, Grant? Mate, I'm great, and great to see you. It's been too long. We, um, I think we, we worked together a year and a half ago, and that's basically the last time there was a golf tournament in Australia, so... Yeah, it's been a pretty long time between drinks. I think what's interesting about that experience was, I think that will be my last golf tournament that I'll be involved with professionally. But I don't think it'll be yours. <laughs> well, I think that's a bit harsh, and um, I actually think that 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 um, initiative that the PGA put on at the at the PGA Championship to have like a magazine show before and, and after was was just what golf needed, and you did a fantastic job of that. Yeah, it was um, fun. And it was great fun, you know, and it was just it was just a slightly lighter take on on tournament golf. And you know, I mean, no one really knows what's going to happen going forward with with tournament golf in this country. We don't know if we can get any players into the country to come and play, and if they do come in, well, we know no one's going to come in and spend two weeks in a hotel to come and play at Australian Open. So, how we get the professional tournament up and running now okay, because of that, I don't know. All right, let, let me ask you this then before we get into the other stuff that I want to ask you, and there's a whole list of things I want to talk to you about. Um, do, we, do, we, do we need to have the international players come to Australia to play in the Australian Open? Like, is, is, well, is, yes, we do. But because, because let's not forget that the, that the international players that you're talking about are also Australians because, yeah. you know, the, the name players that actually make this tournament work from a commercial level they are all living in America or, or somewhere else. And so they're all, for them to come home, it means that they're under, they're under the same uh, controls and, and regimes as what everyone else is. So, and, and you can't sell, you can't sell any sporting event now without some 
big attachment to celebrity, if you like. Yeah. You know, there's got to be some. There's got to be some attract attraction for my sponsors to get on board, for television to get on board. And so, without any names playing in the field, you, you, you're not going to be able to get all of those people in line. And so, the reality is, yes. And you know, it's the same story for not just golf in Australia, but it's anywhere in the world now. We live in the age of celebrity, and in you know. You know, for want of a better better word, when it comes to, to sporting stars, but it, it's still relevant. And yeah, answer, the answer to your question is, is uh, I guess, yes or no. I yeah, no, no. I guess no. I think. I mean, it's funny because I think I, I I think I knew that. I just sort of like the idea of that we could have our own have a, an Australian Open that's really well supported that doesn't necessarily require the big names but, but this is one of the things i want to talk to you about so as a golf commentator when you watch yep. golf and let's look at the was it the P, the pga that was just on the us open the us open that was just on right so when you watch golf do you watch it from a, a fan point of view or do you watch it from a commentator's point of view uh a bit of both really these days because i'm you know i when i when i was playing golf was was all I thought about. I mean, I got up in the morning and, and the first thing I thought, where are my golf clubs? How quickly can I get to the course? But I, I loved being a pro golfer. It was it was just a dream and, and I just can't think of a greater way to live your life. Mm. Um, but when I, you know, I had a few injury issues towards the end there and, you know, and then I, pr- I probably was just short of being, you know, good enough to be, you know, a, a really great tour player. I mean, I kept my car on the Australian tour for over um, over a decade and played in Europe and played in some major championships and, and all those things. So, you know, I was obviously a good player, but in terms of just being able to just tap into that upper echelon, I was probably just a bit short of that for, you know, for various reasons. Mm. Um, and so once I stopped playing competitively, I, I kind of lost that, that a little bit of that pure sort of fascination and, and drive with with the game and and, and I, I guess I look at it a little bit more objectively now I, I, I sort of you know I probably analyze a little bit more from the point of view of a commentator yeah um, but it, but it's still fascinating to me and and to me you know the majors take on a whole completely different context all right before we get to your I know you've done you've played two British opens what yeah. happened <laughs> What happened on Monday morning our time? I mean, because that was oh, it was unbelievable. It was like watching me and my mates. <laughs> well, you know, did you know what you know? What's interesting, mate, is that when um, I, and I was thinking about this earlier when I knew we were going to talk. I, I remember when I played my played my first major at Troon in '97 at the the Open Championship or the British Open, um, and I just remember thinking when I was out there playing that it was actually a whole new level that I wasn't accustomed to. Like it, just in terms of the difficulty of the golf course and yeah. the way that the golf course is set up on the edge um, and how the conditions sort of turn it, you know, turn it into a, you know, a really a, a whole different equation from anything I'd experienced before. Had you, had you, played, trend, had you played trend before? No, no, I, I went, oh, okay. I flew over, I flew over, like I'd been a pro for about three years and I thought, you know what, and that was in the days when, you know, um, Monday qualifying was was a really big deal. I mean, I'm, I, I played on Monday qualifying one year when Larry Myers was in the group behind me and, you yeah. know, and, and, you know, guys, you know, who had won four or five times on the US tour, you know, were playing groups ahead of you and you're looking around going, wow, what's going on here? You know, right. this is amazing. Yeah. You know, but, but that was, but I flew over from Australia, I thought, you know what, I'm going to have a dig at this. And I, I flew over and I, I qualified and, you know, literally the greatest day of my life. You know, I couldn't believe, you know, this, this, this guy who kind of took up golf when he was 18, you know, and just, you know, kind of just scraped by for a whole bunch of years. And there I am sort of, you know, walking onto the, the, the practice range at Troon, you know, and there's Tom Watson there, there's Sebi Ballesteros up there, and yeah. there's, you know, Retief Goose is next to me, and I'm, I'm like, hey, Retief, we are, I love the golf streets. You know, it was, just, it, was, it was bloody awesome, you know. Yeah. But, um, but, but the point being was that, you know, is that, you know, Troon goes out in one line and then comes back in another, basically. There's only one hole that goes a different direction, that's the postage stamp, a little par three. And, and, and like, the, on the back nine on the on the – on the Thursday, I was last group out at 3.45 in the afternoon. And um, on the back nine, uh, there were four par fours I couldn't reach in two. 
Like, like the wind was biting wow. that hard, straight back into my face. We're still playing with balladas back then. Yeah. You know, any of your listeners who don't know what a ballada is, look it up. <laughs> they, yeah. were, they were golf the balls. little rubber balls, yeah. Yeah, they were, you know, and you had to golf your ball in the wind playing with a ballada. And, um, yeah, and, you know, I, I just remember thinking this – this is next level. This is really, really hard. You know, I was cr- I was crunching drivers low into the wind and pulling out my one iron. Look up one iron. Anyone who doesn't know what that is either. <laughs> and you're, 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 you're just smoking them in and just just coming up. You know, five yards short of these greens. It was just really, really difficult. And and, and I guess in you know relevant to your question before is that you know. It's 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 difficult on t- on TV to perceive just how how hard these courses are set up, you know, and then just and just the fine lines. It's a bit like walking a tightrope, you know. You you sort of, you know, you, you it's all this balancing act. You look like you, you know, even the guys that are that are out there, you know, and leading and look like they're in control. Hmm. You, you, I'm almost certain that in their own minds they're just feeling like, oh, you know, man, I, I, I don't know how I'm doing this, but I'm I'm, I'm doing it, you know, and I'm, yeah. I'm I'm you know, and you, you're just one kind of you know, slight mental aberration away from, you know, making a quadruple on, on 17 like DeChambeau did, you know. Yeah. And, um, and, you know, but he wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't Robinson Crusoe that day either, you know. Like it, there was, it, it was, you were right, it was just a sheer carnage. And, and that's, just, you know. Yeah. So yeah. does that, does that mean, does that mean that Ram, that Ram was able to control his emotions Better than I mean, Ustazen. Oh my God! I just I was <laughs> like nearly weeping for him. Going, oh my God! Not another sec. Like it's you know, like it had yeah. it literally had everything, and it had failure. <laughs> failure, failure in such obvious failure, which is what we face as amateurs all the time. Yeah, but we rarely see it like that for the pros. Yeah, I mean, and the thing is, it's it's so hard to win in professional golf. You know, like yeah. it, it's hard to win, and, and it's even harder to win when you're playing against every other great player in the world, and then you're playing, you, you know, against your own desire. I mean, you, you you know, for these guys who are all multi, most of them anyway, multi squillionaires in their own right. Yeah. So the money is no longer particularly relevant, but their their place in the you know in the pantheon of the game is just standing there, you know, like you win a major, it, it elevates you above everyone. It's, it's, a, it's, you know, it's a, it's the Holy grail. And, um, you know, and, and so you, you're standing there thinking, you know, this, this is what I've dreamt of my whole life and trying to stay out of, out of your own way as well, yeah. you know, and, and, and then, you know, and I think too now, particularly in the age of social media, um, I think that I think social media and the way that people just absolutely pile on for people who have mental breakdowns and stuff. I, I think that that plays a factor these days. With you know, with, with you know, this 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 constant scrutiny, this constant um, being judged and evaluated every time. You know, more with regard to your you know, not, not necessarily your physical skills, but your mental skills, like people calling into account your, you know, your heart or your, yeah. um, your ability to execute under pressure. I mean, all of these things, the, the environment's really, really quite changed, I think. It makes it, makes it you know, even more challenging. But, you know, that, that golf course is long, with, with thick Kaikuyu rough, with a bit of wind and, you know, just and everyone trying their hardest, yeah. you know, and, and a couple of guys fell off the tightrope. Yes, I think that's a great um, description. Let's go back to you. Uh, back to you, Grant. When you qualified for Troon, do yep. you think was was do you think you're qualifying for Troon that that was actually your British? Your I know it was the first time you played, but was that your British? Did you have your victory to qualify, and then by the then you turn up to the course and go, well, <laughs> there's you know, and as you say, goose well, next well, to you and. You know, at the time, I, I probably, I probably, you know, I, I sort of believed in myself, but I'm not so sure that I perceived myself as a major type player at that point. You know, like I was still, you know, I hadn't, I, I got a card in Asia. Um, you know, I played well in Australia, but without really ever contending consistently. And and sort of like the the, the stab at qualifying for British Open was a bit of a, yeah, well, you know, Nothing ventured, nothing gained, and um, but you must have surely thought in the back of your mind, sure, because you know, if you to say, however many years later, you said you know something that you were just short of being a really gr- great 
to a player. So your your level of self-belief then must have been, I mean, how old were you when you qualified for Troon? 30. Yeah, so you would have been, you know, 30. I turned pro at 26. It's amazing. I mean, it's amazing. like I didn't. I had an eighteen handicap when I was eighteen. And, so what? So, okay, let's. All right, let's go back even further. Then, what the hell? <laughs> what? Like, how did you even? How well, did, you know what? I I I I went to like a you know a, a, foot, a football a rugby league school in Western New South Wales, and in my last year at school, I, I met a guy who was a golfer, a guy called Dave Magri from Norfolk Island, and we started hanging out together. And, and I kind of lost a bit of love for rugby league, and and um, and then I got I got sort of the bug for golf. But then, but when I, the time I left high school and finished my HSC, I, I, you know, I it took me six months to join a golf club, and I got to Sydney. And then when I did, you know, I got my 18 handicap. I thought, well, this is good. And then I just I just got obsessed with it. I just used to I used to go to the range at night till the till the range shut till I turned the lights out. I used to I used to just practice and play all day and all day. And like two years later, I was in the state team. And, um, and then, and then I got injured and I had a shoulder surgery and I spent like two years wandering around aimlessly and then, and then kind of got to 25 and went, you know what, I, this is what I've always wanted to do. And so I had to go at it and, you know, live very much hand to mouth for a long time because, you know, I, I didn't have any money. My family didn't have any money and, you know, we were just, I was just going, well, I don't want to do anything else. This is what I want. This yeah. is what I want in my life. And, you know, and I'm just going to keep keep going hard at it. And I, I went harder at it than, than almost anyone I know, you know, in terms of my application, in terms of the dedication I, I gave to the game. Um, you know, I used to carry around a, a weights bar in the back of my little yellow Ford laser, <laughs> you know, when I'd go play pro-ams and, yeah. you know, and a switch ball. And I, you know, I, I anyway, I, I did, I did everything that I thought I could do to get better at it. Yeah. But and you then, loved, but you obviously loved it as well. So there's a. Loved it. Loved yeah. it, you know. Like loved it. I mean, I, um, Andrew, I remember the first pro am I ever played that I got into because I couldn't even get into pro ams my first year as a pro because I didn't have any ranking from the year before. Yeah. And I used to rock up to the pro ams and wait on the tee for like five hours, but hoping that a pro would pull out or get sick. And then I'd get my game, I'd go and play, and I played a pro am at Hurstville in Sydney, and I won a check for two hundred and twenty dollars. And I looked at that thing and I went, "How good is this?" Yeah. This is unbelievable. Someone just paid me to play golf. I got paid to play golf, and, and that was that was kind of weird. It was just it was so awesome. Yeah, you know, and and I was just I think gratitude is a really big really big factor there, you know. And, and so look, you know, I'd I'd getting back to the British Open, you know, I'd I'd, I'd really grounded out hard for a, a couple of years, you know, with with almost you know living off the smell of an oily rag. But I was getting better, and I was getting better and better and better, and and I, I started to. I started to believe, and then when I got into the British Open, I did believe, and and I, I you know, I remember the, the first day I, I went out in two under. I went out the front nine in two under par, and I'm you know, and I'm going hello, the hello, front Cinderella nine. story, Cinderella story, hmm. um, and then um, and then I. <laughs> I came back. I came back. Uh, I came back in an ambulance. So I, like I finished at a quarter to ten at night. That was yeah. that was like the you know, that's the crazy thing. Like I was half asleep walking down the eighteenth hole. Um, so what but, did you finish you on know, the first day? I think I shot. Um, I think I shot seventy six. I think I shot four four over four over or, or five over, but I can't, I can't quite remember. Okay. So um, so did you? Exactly. Because I know what happens. I know. Well, I, mean, I know what happens to me. So I'm assuming if it happens to me, it happens to all the other amateurs. Is that you just start actually going, "Oh my god, I have the game today!" And that. And what? So why does it? Why does the game leave you? Like what? In the middle of a round, how? And why do you think well, the game can? Again, depart? Look, I, I don't. Yeah, look, I mean, it was, it was. I mean, obviously, I played the the, the front line, which was downwind, and yeah, yeah. basically, I was flicking yeah. wedges into nearly every hole. And um, yeah, but, but so you that said you also you also were going, you know, th- here we go. This is the dream. You know, the fairy tale's about to come true. So, you know, did you did that well, get in your way? I don't think I executed any differently, but I, I actually just, you know, it was just so difficult. I mean, oh, okay. you know, I, I didn't play, I didn't play, I didn't play badly. Like I, like on 18, I made double up 18, but I hit my drive dead straight down the middle and it didn't reach the fairway. That's how hard the wind was blowing. You know, like it, I played my second shot, like I played my second shot in waist high rough 
and then and okay. like gouged it out about 50 yards. I had a three wood from a third into the last at Troon. Like that's, I mean, just, just imagine the wind, how hard the wind's blowing for those conditions, you know? So it, it, it wasn't, you know, I, I, and I, I never at any point felt kind of overwhelmed by it all, but, um, you know, it just, again, come back to that point I was making before about just how, how much more of an extension of your of your skills and capabilities playing in majors was it was just you know like you, every poor shot or slightly poor shot was punished a lot more um, substantially than in any other championship I'd played in at that point and then that was the that was the thing you know you were you know you'd, you'd look ahead you'd make a like so on that back night turn you know I, I made a bogey on on 10 and a bogey on 11, I went, oh, well, you know, I'll make some birdies coming up. And I looked, I looked at the card and I thought, Oh, you know, there's too many bird holes coming up, you know. Like I'm, I'm looking, I've got, I've got a one iron in here, I've got a three iron in here, I've got a two iron in here, you know, like just like a three wood in, like like so. I had a five iron at, at the the seventeenth, which is the par three in the practice round, playing with um, Ian Baker, Finch, Robert Allenby, Peter Lonard, nice nice practice group. Mm. And then in the in that round, I hit three wood, you know, I hit wow. three wood from a. So that was just sort of a change in, in how conditions played, but. Um, Actually, the, the, the highlight of that week is just quite a funny aside, actually. So on the on the so you qualify Monday, you qualify Sunday, Monday, and then how do you go on on Tuesday? You know, get all your stuff and you put your name down for your practice rounds. And so I I played I played with um, with Alan B. Lonard and Baker Finch on Tuesday, but then you had to go put my name down for a game on the on the Wednesday. And, and the streets full, and there's one spot at the end of this time. And I go, that's mine. So I put my name in there and I look along, I look along the list and, and it's got, you know, someone, someone, Jay Nicholas, right? <laughs> so and I look at it and I go, I'm playing with Jack Nicholas. I'm playing a practice tomorrow with Jack Nicholas. And I almost run out of the locker room. Right? <laughs> run out of the locker room and find my caddy, tell my caddy, mate, mate, you can't believe we're playing a practice round tomorrow. We're playing with Jack Nicholas. And, um, Anyway, that was that was I was so excited about that, you know. But like, they arrived to the course the next day from around with Jack, and the practice sheet had had been lost, and 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 it was it was there was nowhere in sight. No one knew any of the tee times. Everyone was confused. Everyone was like waiting on the tee. Where's my time? And I'm looking around, Jack. Jack where are you? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so no practice round with Jack oh, Nicholas, but but just. <laughs> No, like it, it didn't happen, but you know, it was it was one of those sort of moments where where I just I still laugh about it, you know, because like we were so pumped, I was so pumped for about a day, like just thinking about playing with the other greatest golfer. Well, I wonder of all time. why. I wonder why his name there would have been a space on on that anyway. Like you would think that people would jump at that, or would there be a sort of a level of fear about playing? No, I don't, I don't think so. I, I think it might have just been at that point where you know he's just wandered into locker rooms for me and gone, uh, I put my name down here, or maybe one of his people put a name down yeah. on on the list. You know, like um, I don't really, I don't really understand the rationale. I mean, Wayne Westner was in the group as well, and there was there was another um, like guy too. But I can't remember who the other person in the group was, but um, yeah, like you know, I mean, it was just one of those those moments in, in time, you know, where you, where you just, an opportunity presents itself and yeah, it would have so been a great memory. Did you ever play with anyone who you were really quite starstruck, you know, about sort of spending the four hours with? Funny story. Funny <laughs> story. <laughs> okay. So I, so when I started playing golf, like Greg Norman, the mid, mid to late eighties um, and Greg Norman was, the, was like the, the star, you know, he was, he was the man, you know, 86, those great years. But, but the guy that I absolutely adore and idolize was Seve, Seve Balasteros. And, um, I, you know, I couldn't imagine, you know, ever meeting the guy or, or whatever. But we, I played in the Hong Kong open, um, in like 96, 95 or 96. And, um, and Peter Lonard and I, we got, we got there to, to a practice round. And the, the, the first tee had like 10 groups waiting on us. We didn't, we didn't bugger this. So out we walked to like the 15th hole and, you know, and, and we, we played 15. Sorry, we put our name down on the practice sheet for like an hour and a half's time. And we put our, we walked out to 15. We walked around, we played right around to 18 and got back just in time for our tee time. So we walk up onto the tee. And this the Indian guy, um, Deep Joel, a really good fella uh, who played on the tour, he, he comes running out. He goes, guess who we're playing with? Guess who we're playing with? I go, who are we playing with? He goes, we're playing with Seve. I've gone, you're kidding me. You're kidding me. So Seve 
Sergio Ballesteros was like the was like the the name player, and 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 he's waiting on the tee for for Russ to turn up. So me, Lonard, and Armand D, we rock up like like the man, like just like savvy, you know. So and I I couldn't I couldn't believe it. And so we 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 sort of yeah played the first couple of holes, and he starts having a bit of a chat, and we're we're getting on great, and we get to the to the um to the fifth hole, the par three, and, and he'd have a bit of a laugh on the team. And we get to the, to the sixth. I think the sixth hole is a par four, out of a bit of a shoot. And Seve pulls out his driver for the first time. And it's a, it's a, um, it's a Callaway Big Bertha, like mid-90s model, but it's covered in blue house paint, right? And I'm, I'm going, Seve, what sort of driver is that? He says, it is the Newkin Cobra. Right. I could just find a big, a big deal with Cobra. <laughs> I was just like, just wet myself laughing. It is the new King Cobra. Right? And, 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 and so we laugh. And we, we, I walk off the tee, like, you know, drives, walk off the tee, like, side by side with him, walking down the fairway. So I say, you know, Sebi, what, uh, you know, what's, what, what's going on with your game kind of thing, you know? Because like, he hadn't been playing really well for a few years, you know, he'd been off the boil. And I just had a bit of a punt, you know, nothing bench, nothing gained. Mm. And he, and I say, yeah, what's happening with your game? You know, where, where are you at? And, I was, and he goes, oh, you know, maybe I, maybe, you know, I see too many coaches and I have family now, you know, family important. And anyway, he's just telling me, he's just talking and talking and talking about his life and stuff. And I'm walking side by side with my driver down the fairway. And it's just, it's just a beautiful moment, right? And we get to our balls, they're about three metres apart. And I turn around to give my driver to my caddy and realize I don't have a caddy. I'd, I'd, I'd actually, because actually, we hadn't gone to the first seating to the caddy hut, I just grabbed a trolley and I was pulling my bag. And so I'm standing there next to Sevy in the, in, the, in the fairway and I'm looking back to the tee. I'm going, Sevy, I left my clubs on the tee. And he goes, what do you mean? I go, oh, look, wait here. And off I run back down the fairway with my driver in hand, back to the tee to get my clubs uh, left on the tee. So <laughs> funny. Yeah, and it actually made it in the paper in Sydney the next day. I was so I was so uh, awestruck by playing with Balaceros that I left my clubs on the tee, so immortalised forever. We had a I had a great chat with a guy called Paul Stevens, who's a caddy, the singing caddy, and he was good friends with Sevi, and Sevi asked him to caddy for him, and he yep. said no because he didn't want to jeopardise his friendship because he said inevitably yep. with Sevi it goes bad with the caddy. So, um, but he spoke really highly of him. Listen, you, well, you, yeah, yeah. yeah, you've you've won, you've tasted yeah. uh, victory. Talk yep. us, talk us through the. Um, it was somewhere in Eastern Europe, I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, mate, I, I, I was hoping that when when this comes up, you'll super it with the yeah. reigning Slovenian Open champion. <laughs> I am the reigning Slovenian Open champion. Nineteen ninety nine um, hasn't been played since. And uh, I'm unbeatable in Slovenia. Yeah. But um, <laughs> interestingly, like, so 97 played the Open at True. 98, I played the Open at Bergdale. 99, I tried to qualify for um, Carnoustie. And um, I got in a playoff for the last spot. And um, I got the second playoff hole and the guy, um, I forget his name now, uh, Scott Watson. Scott Watson. Yeah, yeah sure you've forgotten his name. <laughs> Well, I haven't forgotten it now because he hit it in the Magumbu over the back of the second at the, at the qualifying hole. And I'm on the green about 20 feet away. I'm going, I'm playing at Carnoustie. Yeah, I'm in Carnoustie. And he holds it out of the Magumbu. And um, and I miss my part. And, and then I'm – so I'm I'm out and I'm devastated. So, so hang on. Just, just hang on yeah. a second. Just just on that. How, how do you deal with that devastation? Because clearly that is gut-wrenching. Oh, yeah, it is because then you go back over the round that you played mm. and look at the opportunities that you missed, you know, and I, I, I bogeyed I – had, I had an awesome round of golf and I bogeyed like 16 and 17 and missed about an eight-footer on 18, you know, and I, would, I, was, I think I would have – I think I shot like 66 or something that second round, but I should have shot 63 mm. and, um, you know, and, and romped it in. But, um, you know, and then as a result of, you know, finish, I bogeyed sort of 16, 17 and missed a make a putt on 18 to um, – to not get in, but yeah, it's it's devastating because you know, like it's the pinnacle of the sport, and you know, and it just sort of it it takes you, you know, it makes you sort of off speed a little bit. But mm. but but against the against the the um, open, there's another tournament in Slovenia that week, and so and I had to make a decision that day whether I was going to fly to Slovenia and arrive on Wednesday afternoon and just go and play. And I went, uh, 
yeah, okay. Yeah, so, so, uh, so, I, rocked, so I rocked down there and I, I think I played really average the first round. I thought I got like one even par or one over or something and, and I just didn't want to be there. And then the next day I went out and shot eight under. I went, oh, hang on, what's happening here? And then I just went, I went nuts the rest of the week and ended up winning. So, you know, so I shot 19 under um, for the week and won. And, uh, yeah, it's still, you know, it's still a great memory for me because, um, you know, when I, when I take away. So it was a tournament record. I mean, nineteen under is a hell of a score. Yeah, I, I I don't recall. It was at one of those events that was that was played. Um, uh, I think it was probably maybe only had like a five or six year history. Like it, yeah. it probably started in the, the early nineties, and then ninety nine was the last year that it was played. The last year had a sponsor that wanted to sponsor golf, and and then yeah, and ever since. Uh, far as I can tell, it's, it hasn't been played again. So if they played it again, would you pull the boots I back guess, on? And- <laughs> surely I'd get some invite. <laughs> and, and appearance money. Yeah. I'd have to get appearance money, wouldn't I? So what's um, – so, I mean, look, I don't remember the, the, I think the last time you and I played was somewhere on the Central Coast 10 years yeah. ago, maybe more. You yeah. got cross with me for having a shit swing and not trying hard enough, I think. But um, what's happened to your golf? I mean, I know you've, you've had some problems with your back. Is that what pushed you out of the game? Uh, look, I, look, I had, I had, I had four surgeries in, in five years, uh, towards the end there between sort of 2000 and 2004 when I gave it up, I had, I had two knee surgeries. The second one, I had most of my cartilage removed from my right knee and I had wrist surgery for ganglions, which took me about seven months to recover from. And I'd had, I'd had back issues and I'd had a shoulder operation as well. Um, and I just... You know, it was kind of lower diminishing returns. I was, as I said before, I was, you know, I was, I was a good, I was a good player. You know, mm. I, I was, you know, I could, I was on telly in Australia regularly, and you know, I was good enough to play in major championships and win in Europe. But you know, I just, I, I was trying to make that step to this sort of that invisible next level without necessarily knowing where it was, and I just kind of was falling short of that. And and the more injured I got, the less productive I got. And, and I was still playing good golf, but I, I just had this really this feeling that, I mean, I, the last two years I hadn't played a single round of golf without taking painkillers and anti-inflammatories. Yeah. And I, and I just had this sense that, you know, it was my time to, to walk away and try something different. And, um, and yeah, and, and when I made that decision, I was okay with it, you know, I mean, because I used to look around at guys when I was, you know, in my you know, mid to late 20s, and I was a really late starter. I mean, I used to look around guys that were sort of, you know, 40, and I perceived them as being really old back then, you know, and thinking, you know, they were just sort of making up the numbers in, yeah. in golf. Yeah. I, I just didn't have one of those guys that just sort of made up the numbers. You know, yeah. I, had, I had goals that I, that, I, that I set for myself, and, and if I, you know, and if I couldn't realistically think that they were possibilities, then I was, you know, then I, I just had this sense that there was something else for me out there. And, um, you know, and since then I've, you know, I've, I've tried, I had a go at, you know, quite a few things, but, um, you know, my business now, um, gymnastics direct is a really great business. You know, it's the number one gymnastics equipment website in Australia and, yeah. um, you know, keeps me busy. I've got, you know, four full-time staff working for me and, and I get to do television golf as well, which I really love. So, um, you know, so I would say that, um, my, you know, I, I just arrived at a point kind of almost fortuitously really where, where the decision was sort of made for me, you know, like I, I could still play, but I wasn't ever going to get better than what I was at that point. Okay. And, um, and, and, and I, and I just, my body wasn't allowing me to, to sort of keep competing, but I, so, I was 30, I was 36 and it was just time. So Phil's win, did that, does that sort of stir something in you to, go well i mean i'm not saying to go back on the regular or even attempt to get yeah. it back on the regular tour but certainly as a senior do you sort of think well oh i was pretty good <laughs> you know what you know and, and and my my answer to that is that you know i was pretty good but i was never quite good enough to beat those guys when i was at my, my physical peak yeah and you know, and 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 i again i'm i'm I was never interested in just making up the numbers in pro golf. I, I really, I really wanted to, to achieve great things in the sport, and um, and and when when it became kind of apparent to me that that 
that wasn't really possible. I, I, I kind of, I didn't lose the love of the game, but I lost the love of sort of setting goals and 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 challenging myself to compete um, at a at a higher level. And, and my focus switched from that sort of solely, you know, insular, you know, kind of focus into other things. Okay. And so, um, you know, and I don't, I should find that I don't really have the competitive streak that I had anymore. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't, you know, I had, I was insanely competitive, you know, which is one of the, one of my strengths, which, which, what kept me out there and, and what got me, you know, gave me the longevity that I did, you know, over what other guys might've brought to the table. And, and then I, I just found, I just find now that I'm, I'm, I'm happy to go out and have a hit with my mates and, you know, and just have a laugh and a bit of a sledge and, you know, a couple of side bets and that sort of thing. But, yeah. but in terms of actually setting goals for and myself win. in goal, yeah. <laughs> hey, listen, did you have a default swing thought that you would go back to if things were going pear-shaped and around? Like, was there something like, you know, I mean, I've been really lucky and talked to, you know, a bunch of pro golfers and like, you know, Richard Mercer says, you know, you've got to be seeing three knuckles and, you know, someone else says you've got to be the elbow in or did you have a default sort of thing that you tried to remember? Yeah. Look, or do you now? Yeah, no. For me, it was it was posture. It was all about all about posture. I mean, a lot of the stuff that I, I grew up with, uh, you know, when I first started playing the game, was all feel. It was all sort of feel related stuff, you know. About you know, like you know, Richard, you know, was my first coach, Richard Mercer, and um, you know, and he Richard was all very much about the grip and and that sort of thing. And then as I as I kind of you know evolved a little bit, I, I, I kind of found that I had I had things in my swing which which weren't going to allow me to, to, you know, excel. You know, I, I did, I did some, you know, I took the cob away a bit shut and, you know, and, and I, I did, everything was a feel thing. I didn't really have a perception of it. I went and saw um, Gary Edwin, you know, midway through my first year as a pro and, and he was one of the first guys that I'd ever seen use video, you know, and actually show me, what I was doing, and I looked at it. I mean, yeah, like, right. <laughs> and I, I don't, doesn't look. I don't, that's not how I pictured it. And so we, we, the changes that we made were were very much posture related, which then allowed me to get the club more open on the way back. And um, and you know, and, and Gary's, I guess, method, you know, could often be seen as a little bit sort of stifling and a little bit sort of rigid. And you know, well, but, he was that reverse um, set of K, wasn't he? In the no, yeah, yeah, and Paul Gow, they were both Edwin. Well, you know, I mean, at the, I mean, there was a time there on tour where you know, especially in Australia, you had Peter Lonard, um, who was the, the poster boy. You had Rod Pampling, um, Paul Gow, um, you know, obviously myself, and and everyone used to say, "Oh, you don't look like the Gary Edwin person. You don't look like a Gary Edwin player," because I probably was a little bit more kind of you know, I had a bit more motion and, you know, a little bit less like fast arms kind of thing. But, but what, what Gary gave me was, was stuff that I could, um, that I could fall back on, you know, rather than just these feel things, you know, so I would go back to, you know, posture and, and, you know, this understanding of, you know, my arms underneath my body and swinging around my body more. And, and that really worked for me. What, what kind of left me the most though was my putting. I, I, I got a bit yippy the last sort of three or four years. I got quite yippy and, and that when you when you start getting yippy, that's that's bad. I mean, in pro golf, that's not good at all. You know, and I was using a broom, I was using a broomstick, and I was still yippy with a broomstick. You know, right. so so um, how did the, how did the yips how did the yips uh, manifest themselves for you? Like, so Richard Mercer said it was like an electric shock going down his arm. Yeah, yeah, and that's it. You know, and until you've had the yips, you 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 can't really understand them. I used to look at guys. You know, who used to talk about the yips when I. When I was younger, and I go, well, what is, what's the yips thing? Yeah, that's that's nothing. It can't be real, you know. It can't be real. And, and yeah, I'd look at guys, you know, like who, who had the yips, and you can see this of so their right hand flinching at impact all the time, you know. And I, and I go, oh, that's really interesting. And then one day it happened to me, and I went, oh no, I've got them. What's that? You know. And so you know, it, it manifested itself mainly on on short putts, um, and you know, it, sometimes it was worse than others, and you know. Yeah, but it was it, once you, as Sam Snead used to say, once you've got them, you've got them. Yeah, and um, you know, so and you, you still got them now. Them. Well, not as not so much, no, because I, I, it, it, it sort of, yeah, I don't, I don't. When I go and play now, I, I actually don't really feel like I'm trying to sort of prove anything or achieve anything. You know, are you still um, a scratch golfer? 
Oh, look, if I if I went and sort of hit balls three or four days a week and just sort of got my got my feels back and, and hit a few putts, I, I could get it around in somewhere between kind of seventy two and seventy four most days. I think. Um, okay. Um, you know, I'm, I'm still a member at New South Wales Golf Club in Sydney, and you know, I, I love going there. You know, a few times a year just to play, and that's pretty much the only place where I where I play. You know. All right. Um, Good choice. But, um, yeah, it's not a bad choice to have, is it? <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, listen. Well, let, let's leave it on this. Um, what should what what in your mind? What is the one thing people should experience in golf before they before they give it away? Before they're done with golf, or the golf is done with them, what should they seek to enjoy? Well, I, think it's, I think it's relevant. It's, it's all relative to your to your. Um, to your level of expertise in the game, isn't it? I think you've got to be real about, you know, I mean, I mean, I assume you're either talking about from a performance level or you're talking about from like actually playing golf in a place. You know, like, just, we're, like we're, literally we're, any, like, you know, some, I don't know, um, Elisa Healy said she'd like to be in a group. She'd like to be the one, but like to be in a group where someone has a hole in one. She'd like to experience that. You know, I mean, we always go. Well, oh, hole in one, the hole in one's a wonderful thing. Hole in one's an absolutely wonderful thing. You know, so that's a, and I wish that for everybody who plays the game because, like, it's you know, it's like this. You know, it's a bit. I know some really good golfers that have that have never had a hole in one. You know, like, <laughs> and you're really good. Um, <laughs> Thanks, Grant. You know, and, 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 and interestingly, like, so while we're on that subject, there was a, I I missed out on winning a car about two times by like an inch, you know, in, in, in tournament golf. In fact, I had a hole in one at the 15th in Kingston Heath on a Wednesday um, at an Australian Open when the car started the next day, you know, and things like that. Um, but there was a guy who played with, played in Asia, an American guy called Mike Cunning, and he'd had three holes in one in total in his whole life. And he, was, he, he won the Order of Merit up there one year, so he was a really good player. And and the three holes in one that he had, he'd won a car every time. <laughs> so, so, you know, that's, that's just, you talk about so luck. Do you guys gun, do you guys, do pros gun for the car? Like you can see the BM, the BM or the Merc or the Skoda or the Subaru behind you. Do you, do you actually go, yeah, playing shit. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to win the car. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I remember one year they had the half a million dollars on at, at, uh, at Huntingdale. Yeah, you remember they had that half a million hole in one at, at Huntingdale. Nathan Green won it. Nathan Green won it on the uh, what is it? The tenth, eleventh, uh, uh, the twelfth, twelfth hole part three. They had a half a million bucks up, and Nathan Green won it. And but you know, I remember the years that they had it on there. You know, I used to get to that that hole, and, and I'd be like. Come on, man! Come on, put your best thing on it here. You know, like there was no, there was no aiming, there was no aiming five yards right of the green of the pin, right. you know, and try to hit it in the heart of the green. It's like, oh, come on, yeah, imagine, imagine this because you know it could change your life. But, yeah. but in, in terms of in terms of like life experience, uh, golf experiences that that I um, would recommend to anybody, you know, if you just want to sort of you know just absorb the, the majesty of the game and the, the the beauty of it. I mean, Royal County Down in in Ireland was just one of the most amazing experiences the day i played there i played there um the in the week before the british open the, the open at in 97 i went i went spent a week in ireland playing with ian baker finch and gary edwin and and one of um one of um, ian's mates um kevin cross and it was one of the greatest weeks and we played port marnock and mm. waterville and mm. yeah european club and finished the royal county down just just amazing just a, just a majestic mystical sort of place um to me that that's one of the great great experiences, but we've got them here in Australia as well too. Like, you know, you're going down to Barn Bugle and playing those two, you know, awesome golf courses down there. And, um, you know, uh, there's a, there's a real, there's a real beauty about this game when you, when you get deep into it and, and you start thinking about, you know, the design of the course and the, the place it's located and just this, this privilege of being out in the open air and just enjoying, yeah. you know, this, you know, there's just a, the relaxation that, you know, that this game can bring to you. And I think, you know, something along those lines, I, I don't think I wouldn't be prescriptive about, you know, what it is that everyone has to do in order to, for the, for their bucket moment in golf. But I think there's a number of different ways you can look at it and yeah, just suck the marrow out I think of it. It's a great game. Suck the marrow out of it is a great, um, a great call. I think the thing with Ireland as well as, as much, it's the accent and the people and the experience of somewhere else. Like I played in Ireland once and, 
just turned up to a course, you know, and there was a three and I was alone and I said, oh, do you mind if I play with you? And they go, no, no. And we ha- anyway, it was a fantastic day and I had to sink a, I don't know, 20 foot putt on the last. The guys put the flag stick down along the hole and he goes, just put your ball along the flag stick there. Put it along there. <laughs> so I put my ball on the flag stick, it goes in the hole and he goes, the three of them go, it's a tie. It's a tie. <laughs> and then we went and drank for a straight. Oh, it was just, you know, and it was just one of those. It's my, I think it's my favorite golfing memory of anything because it was you know, other people enjoying the game and sharing the, the love of it. And I reckon that's, that's the point of what, you know, we're all trying to seek anyways, you know, trying Mate, to play, totally. play well and have a nice totally. time. Yeah. Find, find, you know, the most important thing is to, to find people whose company you enjoy yeah. and, you know, and who, you know, share a similar ethos about the game and a passion for it. And that, that's, that's where the memories come in this game. You know, it can be about, you know, achieving your personal best. But I think most of it is, is bound up in, um, you know, just before we go, my, my greatest experience ever. Um, yeah. And you, and you, um, you, you remember Don Farden. Yeah. Uh, Don, yeah, great Don who died last year, um, had, a, had a, a brain aneurysm, one of the greatest human beings I've ever met. But one year as a golf, as a golf digest top 100 judge, we got invited up to play Elliston. Uh, which is the Packer course up in in the Hunter Valley, which is in in the top ten golf courses in Australia. It's just a magnificent, amazing place. And um, anyway, we it poured down. We'd flown down from Queensland. We 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 hired a car. We we're on the way out. We we arrived there only to find that the day had been called off because it was too wet. And we were like, "What do we do now?" Anyway, the, you know, the, the the Packer family let us in. They stopped, stopped raining. The sun came out. They went, "Oh well, you know, it might be it might be good tomorrow." And we woke up next day. It was a perfect day. Don and I, the only two people on Elliston for the whole day, and we played. We just played from sun up to sundown until we couldn't see the ball anymore. Oh. And we played. We played. We played not not quite fifty four holes, but we we definitely got you know two and three quarter rounds in. And the whole day we just were smiling like Cheshire cats and laughing to each other and just, you know, th- this incredible experience yeah. of like having one of the world's greatest golf courses to yourself with not another soul in sight, not another human being anywhere near you. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's, that was the greatest, the greatest day of golf for me that's, ever. That's what it's like to be a Packer. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah, like Grant Dodd, yeah. what a pleasure. I want to thank you for, you know, sparing some time to come on golf and, and just talk about the game. And, and I love your commentary. I think you do a great job. So hopefully we'll get some more tournaments soon enough and, and we hear you again. Thanks, mate. Really enjoyed it. Thank you. Cheers, Dottie. Thanks. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. So that's Grant Dodd, the Doddinator. And, um, oh, yeah. Look, he's a terrific guy. Um, and then at the end of our discussion, he said, hey, listen, you know, I got some fantastic cheating stories. We should do cheating stories. <laughs> so we'll do that another time. Um, next uh, two or three weeks, I hope. Um, we'll get together again and, and do that. Hopefully we can uh, do it in person. And he really is... Um, I look, I've known him for a while, but he's a lovely guy and, and great to spend some time with. All right, to that that different option, the the, the alternate ending. Uh, my wife said to me, she goes, you know what would be really good? Like at the end of yoga, she said, we have Yavatsna 
Yavatsna. I think that's what it's called. <laughs> and she said, what you do is, you know, like they, they have a meditation. So she said, you should have a meditation on your podcast. So I'm like, oh man, that's like a real, you know, it's a good idea. Why don't we sort of try a golfing meditation? So um, let's, let's have a crack at that. So uh, just close your eyes, um, unless you're driving. If you're driving, don't, no, stuff it, go and do it. No, no, don't. Uh, close your eyes and just imagine a fair a fairway. Imagine a, you're on a tee box and a fairway and um, pans out. This is beautiful in front of you. But the further away it gets, the wider it gets. So you've got beautiful, beautiful wide the buzzing noise. It's the fridge, beer fridge. Hang on a second. I'll just hang on. All right, that's better. So there's a beautiful wide fairway out in front of you and it's just it's beckoning you to 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 uh, to hit you for you to hit it. Hang on. Oh, imagine this though. Imagine a, a lake, a river. Imagine a river of beer. Imagine a river of beer calling you and um and you can't go in it. You want to go in it. Uh, but you have to hold the course. Stay the course. Stay the course on the fairway. So you breathe. Oh, yes. Yeah. What do you think? Relaxed? Cheers. Hey, thanks for listening. See you next time on Golf. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.